tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text Monica to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Friday. We have survived yet another week in Joe Biden's America. Congratulations. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Check me out, fellow happy warriors, on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. Email, I am at Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Send me a note. Let me know what's on your mind. I read them all. I see them all. Well, guys, hi from Nashville, Tennessee. I am in Nashville to tape Huckabee with Governor Mike Huckabee, who is one of the smartest and nicest human beings on the planet. I am here to tape his show for TBN. And I did it before earlier in the year. It's so much fun. It's always a blast with the studio audience and the band. And Governor Huckabee is just the best. So we're going to have a ball when we tape this show today. And then it is going to air Saturday and Sunday night on TBN. So check your local listings. Find out when it's going to air on TBN. I believe it's primetime Saturday 8 o'clock Eastern Time, uh, and then Sunday, I believe it's 7 p.m. Eastern Time, but check it out, please, because we always have a ball. We always talk about really important things, but we also have a lot of fun, just like we do here on this podcast. Uh, also, Sunday night, I will be back on the East Coast, and I am going to join my friend Steve Hilton 
on Fox News, 9 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on Sunday night. So take a break, step away from the NFL for one hour from 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Fox News Channel. We're talking about positive populism, the populist revolt that hasn't gone anywhere. And if anything, it's strengthened. So Steve Hilton and I are really, we're, we're like brother and sister on this topic. We're just so closely aligned on what's actually going on in the country and also in the West. He came from the UK and uh, that's really where the revolt started. He worked on Brexit. So he's an amazing guy and I will be joining him. Fox News Sunday night, 9 to 10 p.m. And then don't forget about Huckabee on TVN all weekend long. Join me there. All right. Today, I want to deal with an under-the-radar story, which is yet another way that the Democrat communists are manipulating outcomes to get a permanent lock on power. They're doing something very sneaky, very shadowy, but with very big consequences for us and for the country. But few people are talking about this. We're going to just like we do for other subjects that the propaganda press will just ignore. We cover it here on this show. We're also going to talk to the one person really investigating all of it, the great Ben Weingarten. Ben is one of the smartest people I know. He is just great. He's writing over at Real Clear Investigations, as well as The Federalist and some other places. He's just great. So he's going to be covering this particular story with us, Later in the show, he's going to bring you all the details you need to know. Plus, a fantastic email came in. I mean, all of your emails are great. This one is, we're going to go a little bit more in depth on this one. So you're going to want to sit tight through the entire show for that. All right, let's rock. First up, the Monica Memo. The midterms now are 26 days away, okay? Literally right around the corner. So members of Congress... They're, they're all out of Washington. Thank God they can't inflict any more damage on us while they're out there campaigning. They're all in their districts and their states, crisscrossing the land, trying to get reelected. That also includes AOC from the Bronx, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, also known as Sandy Cortez from Westchester, which is who she really is. I will love Tucker Carlson forever for giving her that that uh, moniker because actually that's the name she went by when she was in high school, Sandy Cortez from Westchester. But of course, if you're Sandy Cortez from Westchester, you're not going to have the same identity politics traction as if you were AOC Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So she flips back to her natural name, wins in an upset. I still think that's a very... I think that whole race where she uh, upended the establishment Republican Joe Crowley, no relation to moi, uh, I think that was sketchy. I don't know. Nobody has ever looked into it because it's the Bronx and nobody really cares. It's so heavily Democrat. But I think, I don't know. I don't know. Something in my gut tells me that election was not quite right. They wanted Sandy Cortez in there to lead the squad, to lead the socialist revolt, on the House of Representatives side, they got her in, then they got additional squad members in, and now they have a real cabal, right? So anyway, Cindy Cortez held a town hall this week where she got completely wrecked. Wrecked. First of all, 
Um, we've had the woman who's running against her, Tina Forte. We've had her on the show. She is fantastic. She's America first. She loves uh, that district. She loves the country. I so wish that Tina Forte would win. But Tina Forte uh, published on Twitter video of this town hall, and there's literally, like, it's a, it's a massive theater, and Sandy Cortez is up at the front with a microphone, and literally there's nobody there. This is like a handful of people. Now, Sandy Cortez, of course, is the toast of the Democrat Party. She's young, she's attractive, she's hip, she knows how to do social media. The national media love her, right? The local media in New York love her. But the people in her district, not so much. I mean, wouldn't you want to see a celebrity candidate? People come out in droves for Donald Trump. He's a celebrity candidate, right? People come out in droves, thousands and thousands of people. Sandy Cortez from Westchester can't even get like 10 people to show up to a town hall. I mean, even if people were just curious to see a celeb, right? Nope. Couldn't deliver that. So a handful of people could show up and they proceed to wreck her. She got so heckled, yelled at, really, yelled at. And these were not plants. These were progressive Democrats living in her district who showed up and began yelling at her for not representing the district and the people in it. They accused her, this is really interesting, they accused her of being a warmonger because Sandy Cortez has voted for every massive spending package for Ukraine. Tens and tens of billions of dollars. I think we're up to, what, 80, 80 billion for Ukraine since March, February or March when Putin went in. Tens and tens of billions of dollars that we do not have and cannot afford. We're going to get to that in a minute. By the way, her district in New York City is the Bronx and Queens, one of the poorest districts in the country. The people in her district could use that money as opposed to, say, Zelensky's war machine. Just throwing that out there. But no, she and her party like it like that. They like that her district is one of the poorest in the country. Just like so many other Democrat districts, they like it like that because poorer people are more easily controlled. Why? Because they're dependent on the government. The Democrats for decades have been engaged in this grand project to create a permanent underclass in America. Why? Because that permanent underclass made up of blacks, Latinos, women, um, and other minorities That permanent underclass is dependent on government, meaning dependent on them. So they need that permanent underclass going constantly and constantly growing. What do you think the wide open border is all about? That is about flooding the zone, getting as many people into the country as possible, getting them on a road to vote while getting them enrolled in every single government program possible. Dependent on government, dependent on them, locked into a permanent underclass situation, but that means a permanent vote for them. 
Do you see how evil this is, guys? I mean, we're talking about really pure wickedness here. We often talk on the show about the spiritual nature of the battle. Indeed. Case in point right here. This is pure wickedness, pure evil, to keep entire groups of people down, dependent, soft, unfree, in chains. That's who the Democrat communists are. And that is exactly what they need. So Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has no uh, incentive to enrich her district. Remember when Amazon was going to build a big warehouse there in her district? And it was going to generate like, I forget, 10, 20,000 new jobs. And the people in the district were desperate for it. They wanted well-paying jobs. They wanted Amazon to come. And she killed it. She killed it. And her top line reasoning was, I don't even remember what it was, but the bottom line is she wants her constituents poor. Again, if they're poor, they're dependent. And if they're dependent, they're easily controlled. And she's got permanent votes locked in there as a result of that. So all of these people who showed up, the handful of people uh, to her town hall this week, they were yelling at her for being a complete fraud which of course she is voting for money for the Ukraine war, behaving like Dick Cheney, for God's sake. People stood up and I, you know, the video that I saw, there was a black individual, black man. I think there was a Latino who also stood up to confront her, a white guy as well. But they were all yelling at her like, look, we believed in you. We believed in you as a progressive who was going to get in there and shake things up and change things. And you know what? One of the guys said, you know what? You have become what you said you hated. You have become what you said you were running against. You have become the establishment. Man, did he hit it right on? Totally. Totally. Now she and so many other Democrats who are voting for these billions of dollars to go over to Ukraine, apparently they never met a war that they didn't like. How did the left go from make love, not war, to woohoo, nuclear war, yeah? It's an interesting question. And it's all part of this great realignment that is happening. It sort of started under Obama and then slowed down. And then Trump completely flipped the script. And that great alignment. I'm telling you, this is a major, major political earthquake where really the political axes have switched poles. The North Pole has become the South Pole and vice versa, where you've got Democratic progressives, Democrat communists just being all for war when the entire counterculture for years, especially in the 1960s, was all about ending wars, make love, not war. Now it's make war, not love. It's a very interesting realignment. We're going to continue to take it apart on this podcast because I find it fascinating. So while they are sending all of this money over to Ukraine, our economy, the Biden economy, is sucking salt. Yesterday, we got the CPI for September. That is the consumer price index. The day before, we got the producer price index, 
producer prices, which is what the wholesale price, so what vendors pay for lumber or for for plastic or whatever to make their individual good, uh, that producer price index was year over year up 8.5%. Unbelievable. And then yesterday, we got the consumer price index, which is what we all pay for stuff. And guess what? Consumer prices soared 8.2% year over year, hotter than expected yet again. Monster Biden inflation continues to rage out of control. And yet Sandy Cortez and the Democrats think nothing of sending corrupt Zelensky and the corrupt Ukrainian regime about a billion, billion five every single week. Where are they getting this money? They're printing it like crazy. Your economic pain, which is a direct result of what they are doing and what they have done for nearly two years now, your economic pain means nothing to them. Your economic pain means nothing to this regime. Because what you are watching is the controlled demolition of the U.S. economy. This is all intentional. None of this is incompetence. None of this is by mistake. This is all by design. This is about overwhelming the U.S. economy in order to implode it so that they can then rebuild it, re-engineer the U.S. economy in a command system, also known as Marxism. So while all of this is going on, and the economy is sliding deeper and deeper into a recession, and you can't afford to buy milk, the Democrats are all up in arms still over, wait for it, January 6th. Yes, that would be January 6th, 2021. Yesterday, they held their final public hearing, which was totally anticlimactic. They said, oh, we're going to get into Trump's brain, his state of mind on January 6th. Again, no one cares. No one cares, but they keep beating this drum because it's all they have. They were originally supposed to have this hearing um, a couple of weeks ago. I guess it was two weeks ago. They delayed it ostensibly because of the hurricane in Florida. They said they didn't want to look disrespectful. That's nonsense. They could give a flying wit about being disrespectful. Okay, they do not care. They moved it to this week because they knew that this monster Biden inflation number was coming out yesterday. And so they scheduled the hearing for yesterday to try to distract you, try to distract everybody. Oh, don't don't mind that huge 40-year high of inflation. Look over here at this shiny object called the January 6th committee. I'm telling you, it was completely anticlimactic. We're going to get in Trump's brain. Come on. They had nothing except when they announced that they were going to subpoena President Trump. Now, the January 6th uh, committee is only tasked through the end of the year, December 31st, and then it comes to its conclusion. So they can subpoena Trump all day long, but obviously it's mid-October. There are going to be all kinds of legal challenges, and this whole thing is going to be strung out. The Democrats know this too. So obviously this subpoena thing is going to peter out, and obviously Donald Trump is not going to be hauled in front of this committee. 
but this is what they're spending their time and your money on. The January 6th show trial clown show subpoenaing Donald Trump won't make anybody forget that they can't afford groceries or gas or a mortgage or rent now under the demented hack who's currently the president. They're trying. Nobody is believing this. And guys, you know, they're teeing it up. They're teeing it up to blame the Republicans because they assume Republicans are going to gain control of one or both houses of Congress. They know a deep recession is coming. I mean, we're already in a recession, sort of a light one right now, but everybody says it's going to get much darker and much more bleak. They know that that's coming, so they're already teeing it up that once Republicans gain control of Congress, guess what? They're going to pin the sucky economy on the Republicans. Biden just this week started to say it. He was all like, oh, if Republicans gain control, a recession is coming. They have no qualms about lying. Lying is all they do. This is what the regime does morning, noon, and night. They lie. But I don't think it's going to work. You know why? Because Donald Trump's booming economy was just two years ago. Forget about the pandemic and the shutdowns and everything else economically for a minute. People's memories are very fresh about the thriving economy that Donald Trump delivered through a pro-growth economic strategy, tax cuts, regulatory relief, fair trade deals, energy independence. Donald Trump's presidency was not 30 years ago. It was two years ago. People have that fresh in mind, so they can try to spin this all day long. I think it's going nowhere. But they're already teeing it up, and they've got their wingmen in the press ready to amplify it. Be ready. That's what we do here on the show. We prepare you. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about the Democrat communists and one part of what they are doing to genuinely undermine our democracy They're always screaming about democracy. They are literally in every nook and cranny of it, trying to undermine it to lock in permanent power. We're going to talk about one particular aspect of this, which is getting no coverage. We're going to talk to Ben Weingarten about it because he has been all over it. So sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy 
and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Well, as we speak about on this podcast all the time, the left is doing all kinds of shady things, some very public, like their nefarious legislation that they call euphemistically voting rights bills, which have nothing whatsoever to do with voting rights and everything to do with locking in their power permanently. And some of the other things they do are flying under the radar, but they're equally insidious. Here to talk about one of those ways, the manipulation of the census, which you probably have heard nothing about, is Ben Weingarten. Ben has a very full plate because he is now full-time at Real Clear Investigations. He is also a senior fellow at the London Center for Policy Research, a fellow at the Claremont Institute, and a senior contributor to The Federalist. He also writes a lot for Newsweek. He is also the founder and CEO of Change Up Media, and he joins me now. Ben, with all of these things on your plate, how do you have time to join the Monica Crowley podcast? Well, Monica, for you, I will make time. Let's be clear <laughs> about that. And, well, thank uh, you. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure and a privilege to get to talk to you about a really significant issue that is so in the weeds that it deserves to be brought to the forefront in a clear way because it's just so meaningful if you care about representation in America. Yes, and it is great to have you here, Ben. I I hope you'll come back early and often. You do so much important work. Everybody should be reading your stuff everywhere. But you do so much stuff that it's hard to know where to focus with you. But I do want to discuss the topic, this topic on the census that you recently wrote about, uh, because you're talking about how the census is being manipulated to benefit the Democrats. Before we do that, let's start at the very beginning, because I think most people have an idea of what the census is. Oh, it's a body count. How many people in the country? But remind us of what it really is, its importance, and what is it supposed to be used for? Yeah, so the census is usually significant in a few separate ways. Uh, Every year, there's a count of total population That alone is a really big issue, which maybe we can talk about a little bit, because the way that it's been interpreted is the total people in the country, not necessarily the citizens in the country. And those population figures are used by government authorities, both at the federal, state and local levels in a variety of ways. At the federal level, obviously, it determines the apportionment of congressional seats. So where these 435 districts are in the country and how they're carved out. As well, the population figures are used when it comes to allocating federal funds that are doled out to the states. So it's based in part on where the population centers are as calculated based upon the census. Bears noting, of course, that because the House seats are determined based upon the census numbers. Then, of course, the Electoral College is directly linked to the apportionment of those seats. And then at the state and local levels, 
redistricting, which is done every 10 years in most, if not all states, is predicated based upon the census numbers. So they have a huge impact in terms of how our districts are drawn, where they're drawn, and thus what your representation is in Washington, D.C. and at the state and local levels. So it's hugely important. It's something that's arcane and not a major focus. But if you care about, as I noted, democracy, and I put that in air quotes when we talk about our betters uh, in the ruling class using that phrase, but you talk about representation in this country, the census is where it starts. And so you better know who the bureaucrats are that are in charge of that process, what their processes are. And then when it came to the Trump administration, what they did to try and stymie its efforts to get a fair and accurate census count and to also break out for the American people who the non-citizens are that are counted in it. And what we find here and what we'll discuss, I gather, are the massive errors that occurred in the 2020 census that have gotten no attention, but yet hugely swing power in our system. Yeah. And I do want to get to that, Ben, because your piece is up at Newsweek, and I think the New York Post picked it up as well uh, this week. So everybody should please go check it out. You know, the census is not really a sexy topic, but it is a necessary and important one. And the U.S. Census is actually one of the very few things specifically articulated in the U.S. Constitution for the government to do. (laughs) That and like postal service and, you know, defending the, the Constitution. But the census is right there in black and white. So obviously it has a very important purpose, which is why the left has zoned in on it over the years to try to manipulate it. Before we get into what happened in 2020, the Supreme Court recently ruled that the Trump administration could not reinstate a totally constitutional question about citizenship in the 2020 census, which was then going to frame the next 10 years of, as you say, representation on those numbers. So the Trump team wanted the, the question in there, are you or are you not a U.S. citizen, right? And the Supreme Court uh, decided that that was not uh, allowable. Can you tell us what actually happened there? Yes. And this is something that I think is really mind boggling, but also representative of the double standard and justice that was applied during the Trump years. And now obviously post Trump term one to not just him, but anyone and everyone in his orbit. So first on what the Supreme Court ruled, it bears noting that the Supreme Court said it is constitutional to reinstate a citizenship question on the census, a citizenship question that had been on that census for decades, right. by the way, right. in our history. But what they said was the process by which the administration came up with to reinstate that question was deficient. Talk about a standard never applied to any other president other than Donald Trump. And it just shows you when you have this rhetoric particularly from this Justice Department, for example, about how no one is above the law and hence we can go and have an unprecedented Mar-a-Lago raid and launch these subpoena uh, cannons at, at all everyone and their mother in Trump's orbit. Actually, they treated Trump as below the law and the Supreme Court did that in several instances during the Trump administration, essentially conceding what the president wanted to do was constitutional, but they would find a technical reason to ding him and halt him from doing the will of the people. 
Now, why was that citizenship question so important? It's actually a pretty moderate ask of the Trump administration to reinstate that question, because as I noted, it had been there for decades. What that question might have revealed, if people had honestly responded to it, is what percentage of those counted in the census are not citizens, either illegal aliens or non-citizens. And that raises an important question. Why is it that representation in this country is rooted in population counts that include people who are illegal aliens, likely millions of illegal aliens? That, to me, represents point blank foreign interference in our electoral process, clearly because you're talking about drawing districts based upon who is in them, regardless of whether they're here legally and regardless of whether uh, they're citizens or non-citizens. So that's a hugely significant issue. And I was drawn to this and started hammering this point home and defending the reinstatement of that question in my writing when I saw that Eric Holder and others early on in the Trump administration were focused, very seriously focused on the entire census process, on redistricting, and then laser focused on preventing the reinstatement of that citizenship question. And the question that should have been posed to all of them is, why do you fear getting an accurate count here of non-citizens versus citizens? It didn't even break out, obviously, the question of illegal aliens versus legal non-citizens here, purely non-citizens versus citizens. Mm-hmm. They claimed it would it would suppress the number of presumably mainly Latino immigrants in this country from responding to it. There's evidence that counters that claim that has since arisen. Uh, but nevertheless, essentially, they played the race card here to argue against it. Supreme Court went with the sort of technical error issue to try and block it. Uh, it was a huge disservice to the American people. And the Trump administration still went it's about went about trying to find ways to come to some count based on other federal records here of non-citizens. And they found themselves thwarted in that effort as well. And again, it just bears noting, we're talking about just a non-citizen versus citizen count here, period, full stop. There's some in Congress who have tried to make the case, and I agree with the case, that only citizens should be counted in the census. That's what our political representation ought to be based on, not whether you have 500,000 illegal aliens in a particular area, thus giving it artificial representation in Congress or tens of millions or billions of dollars in federal funding as a consequence of that population. That legislation has languished whenever it's been brought up. It's a huge detriment to the American people. And this is foreign election interference. And if we really care about that, we should be laser focused on rooting that out. Yes. Oh, amen. You're 100% right. How long has the Census Bureau been uh, yet another rogue agency in the government? Well, you know, I think that there's always, first of all, let's say the administrative state itself. When we do have figures say, within uh, any of the major bureaucratic agencies, you know that they are dominated by Democrats. They've been dominated by Democrats in terms of uh, who they've contributed to or in terms of who they've voted for in recent presidential elections, for example. And that sort of runs with the territory, right? These agencies were creations of progressivism. The administrative state itself is a progressive creation. It's a fourth branch of government unelected bureaucracy that the legislative branch has kicked all manner of powers to. And so it goes without saying that, first of all, bureaucracies want to protect themselves. They don't protect themselves and grow their power by diminishing their power or calling for smaller budgets 
uh, or, or less personnel. So consequently, the very nature of the system speaks in terms of attracting and incentivizing those who would be for more government intervention. And these agencies, of course, wanting more power, will usurp more power and defend that power. So it's going to attract a population of people, including, of course, because these agencies are in Washington, D.C., not in Sheboygan or pick your other flyover country, quote unquote, locale. It's going to attract people who are government people. And consequently, it's likely that the Census Bureau is equally progressively captured to most of these other bureaus. And there's evidence of that in terms of the ways in which they sought to stymie in the New York Times and some other publications did some exposés on this after the Trump administration concluded, sought to stymie the Trump administration's efforts to use the census consistent with, I think, the law and the Constitution. There was intransigence there. And I think it's illustrative, of course, of what the Trump administration, and you know this, you know, from firsthand experience, was thwarted by an administrative state, including a deep state that is hell bent on protecting its power and privilege and viewed Trump and Trumpism as an existential threat to its power and privilege. Yes, absolutely. Which is why they continue to try to target him and remove him. He must not be allowed to continue uh, because he represents an existential threat to all of them and their absolute grip on power. Speaking of the left, Ben, House Democrats are also doing this dirty work by making it more difficult to reinstate that citizenship question. So you, you don't just have the Supreme Court and other courts on the way down. Uh, bucking this, but you've got the House Democrats on the legislative side as well. So let's assume that Republicans gain control over one or both houses of Congress. Obviously, you've got a president um, in Biden who's who's going to stop this. But can the next Republican president make another run at the court with this question about about getting the citizenship question on the census? Well, I guess the best silver lining that you could say is that the Supreme Court did deem the citizenship question constitutional. So presumably, if it's not done on pretextual grounds, quote unquote, as that court said, probably if it's done by anyone other than Trump, they'll likely be more likely uh, to bless it as constitutional. Now, all that said, to your point, just as the Democrats have sought a legislative remedy Another remarkable one where they're essentially trying to insulate the head of the Census Bureau uh, from the whims of a president, despite the fact that, of course, that bureau sits under the Commerce Department and it's the president who is the ultimate delegator and the ultimate decider when it comes to any of these executive agencies. Uh, Republicans as well could pursue legislative remedies here. I'd like to see Republicans in Congress, if there was a Republican House and Senate, go much further and actually get to a only citizen should be counted in the census. I think it's highly unlikely. Uh, you know, th- there, there are strong legal arguments, I believe, in favor of it. But based on what we've seen from Republicans in Congress, I, I wouldn't hold my breath on it. But certainly a president should be able to ask this question. And there does seem to be an appetite for reinstating of this question based upon those who have argued against what Democrats put up in the House, the so-called ensuring a fair and accurate census count. Act rather, which does nothing to ensure a fair and accurate census, but does seek to insulate and protect the Census Bureau from a president who would dare challenge whatever the Democrats' prerogatives are with respect to the census. Ben, please stand by. I got so much more I want to ask you about on the story about the census. Please sit tight. 
And we're back with Ben Weingarten. Now let's turn to what actually happened in the last census in 2020. Can you walk us through that? Yes. So after each decennial census, the Census Bureau conducts surveys to determine how accurate they actually were in terms of their counts. And despite the fact that this got almost no coverage, the findings were remarkable. For the Census Bureau itself, its headline takeaway was that while the survey was very close in terms of actually capturing the total accurate count of people in this country, the Census Bureau highlighted that what it found was that Blacks and Latinos were undercounted and whites and Asians were overcounted. That was what they highlighted. And by the way, I think that illustrates the political leanings to some extent of the Bureau, that their first focus was race when it comes to errors or non-errors within the census. But perhaps the bigger finding, which cuts across race, gender, sex lines, every other group that the identitarians among us wish to highlight, is the fact that even though the census was only off by reportedly, according to this survey, 0.24%, so a small, I put that in quotes, net undercount of approximately 780,000 people, there were massive overcounts and undercounts within the individual states. So when you add all the numbers up across the states, the error is relatively small, about a quarter of a percent. But when you look at individual states, the magnitude of undercounts and overcounts is massive. And those overcounts and undercounts just happened to cut solely in one direction. Just like when big tech tells us, oh, it was a mistake that we censored this person's account or deplatform this person, and it always cuts in the same direction. You find analogous errors here. And what are those errors? As I summarize in this piece in Newsweek and then at The Post, there were significant undercounts in the following states, Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi, Florida, Illinois, and Texas. What is it that unites those states? All but one of those states is a red state. Right. All of those states had significant undercounts. Conversely, there were eight states where there were overcounts. All but one of those states was a blue state, that one red state being Utah. And among those states, who had the highest percentage overcount? Well, right up there near the top, Joe Biden's home state of Delaware. The population in Delaware was overcounted by an estimated 5.4%. So to put these numbers in perspective, they're so large, for example, that in Minnesota, blue Minnesota, although maybe red this time around, there was a population overcount of 3.8%. That means 215,000 people. Texas had an undercount of almost 2%. That's more than half a million people. Mm -hmm. What does this mean in terms of representation? Minnesota should have lost a congressional seat. It didn't. Colorado was awarded a congressional seat to which it shouldn't have been entitled if this post-census survey is accurate. And the same goes for Rhode Island. Meanwhile, Texas should have gained one state. It did not. Florida should have gained two seats. It did not. So these are massive, massive errors that were found here, which the Census Bureau skates over in its press release around it. And of course, the media has wholly ignored. There have been challenges to the census in a handful of jurisdictions 
largely blue ones, and they're largely arguing that college students and others weren't counted. So they want more representation, actually, or at least more federal funding to be found if they're ever to get redressed for the purported errors there. But meanwhile, all of these red states lost and all of these other blue states won as a consequence of the errors here. So the, so the questions become then, there don't seem to be really any remedies for this. So is any oversight going to be done? What will be done when it comes to the next census to ensure this doesn't happen? Will any heads roll? And who's going to do anything about this or say anything about this? Why is it that Congress is so silent about these massive errors. So when you use the word errors, though, I mean, everything the left does, since we are in the middle of a neo-Marxist revolution, it's all done intentionally. This is all on purpose. So these are not mistakes being carried out. This is a deliberate policy decision to weight the blue states more heavily in terms of congressional representation via the census. So uh, is there, when you talk about oversight, is anybody watching the Census Bureau and how they're going about manipulating this data in order to get the political outcomes that they want? Well, in response to that Orwellian, because all of these bills are Orwellianly, if that's a word, titled the Ensuring a Fair and Accurate Census Act, uh, Jim Comer in his oversight duties challenged that act and pointed out I think the fact that as a census citizenship question would help ensure a fair and accurate count uh, and also has pointed to the deficiencies in the process. But really, as best as I can see, you pretty much have conservative activists and few others who are awake on this issue. Uh, I cite in my piece Hans von Spakovsky, who uh, used to work at the FEC and in the Department of Justice as well. He's hammered this issue home uh, at the Heritage Foundation and elsewhere. And I felt it was incumbent upon me to also make this case publicly wherever I could, because it's such a significant issue. And the thing is, our eyes often gloss over when it comes to what individual executive agencies are doing, the arcane nature of their processes. But that's where the sausage is made. That's where the power is held. I would point to an analogous issue when it comes to elections Democrats have always played chess and Republicans have often played checkers when it comes to elections. You know, the fact that we couldn't have on the Republican side, people there witnessing the counts, that there were not challenges on site everywhere in the country in 2020. And it's not just 2020. This is every election going back historically. The Democrats are made for machine politics and also a machine administrative state. And so there has to be an equal and opposite reaction, I think, on the Republican side. And this illustrates one issue illustrative of that much broader problem set we face where you have an entire administrative state arrayed against you. You have the courts in large part arrayed against you. You obviously have the media and the educational institutions and pretty much every other influential institution arrayed against you. So to the extent Republicans do have political power, and that is one place where they do have power at the state levels, and increasingly, hopefully, at the federal level as well. You have to pick and choose your issues and your fights. And one of them that we have to think about in this broader context is, given all the mischief these agencies are engaged in, even on these very narrow and arcane issues like the census, what are the battles that you're going to pick and choose that are most important and how are you going to win them? And so I wanted to shine a light on that broader issue via this narrow but hugely important one 
that no one seems to want to talk about. Yeah, and this is why I wanted to have you on the show today, Ben, because you did highlight this. And again, the census, nobody has a top of mind. It's not a very sexy agency within the government, and uh, it's not a very sexy topic, but it's absolutely critical because it's being manipulated against us just like every other government agency and every other policy decision in order to fundamentally transform the country. And I agree with you where in terms of where is the outrage, you know, especially from red states and their representatives who are getting screwed. That silence is so destructive. So is there anything that we, the people, can do beyond bringing pressure to bear on our representatives to to watch over this and make sure this doesn't happen again? I think that the, the, the real, where the rubber meets the road here is the Democrats have organizations in place. They have the likes of an Eric Holder who's focused on this issue. Every They don't want to lose in any domain, basically. If Eric Holder is laser-focused on the census, we better be laser-focused on the census. And that includes journalists, activists, and we the people. What should the everyday American, and in my opinion, there are no everyday Americans. It's an exceptional people, so I don't like using the phrase. But what should people who are not journalists or activists do? I think you ought to write your congressman about this and and simply ask the question, if you have a House majority next year, what are you going to do in terms of oversight to raise the issues around the census and to push for whoever the next Republican nominee is for president to ensure that this is one focus? Obviously, there are a million issues to be outraged about. There are a million significant areas. But what could be more important than your representation and just accurate numbers on which to base that representation? So I think it's petitioning your legislators to engage in oversight and more than just oversight. And this transcends this issue. Use the power of the purse if you have to. That has to be on the table yes. because agencies will react if their funding is on the chopping block. It is the legislators purview to control that funding. So it's not just you know, tersely worded letters to the head of an agency or, you know, a couple minute YouTube clip that goes viral. There has to be real teeth and that teeth is in funding. And I think we ought to be far more open to using it. And it's incumbent upon the people to wake up their representatives here because representatives do respond when there is public pressure. We still do have influence as a public, despite the power of the ruling class. And we ought to use that power and influence. The whole thing is completely outrageous. And again, it's like this under the radar uh, topic and issue. And it's another assault on our country. It's totally infuriating, especially that so many people are just passively allowing it to happen. So thank you, Ben, for exposing it. Check it out at Newsweek and also the New York Post. Had it up on their website earlier this week. Please check it out by Ben Weingarten of the London Center and the Claremont Institute and Real Clear Investigations. Also, check him out on Twitter at B.H. Weingarten and sign up for his newsletter, which is great. He's always got so much important work going on. Ben, thank you very much for being here and continue these exposés. We really need to know every nook and cranny of our left-wing government, how it's being weaponized against us and what we can do about it. Thank you so much. Monica, thanks so much for having me and shining a light on this crucial issue. I really appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Okay, guys, time now for the Friday email bag, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Gene writes, 
Hi, and in the subject line, thank you, Monica, for your great interview with Paul Manafort. One of the best interviews I've heard from any podcast, and I listen to a bunch of them. I love your podcast. Keep up the great work, Jean. P.S. I also loved you on Bill O'Reilly and hope you can sub for him again soon. Well, Gene, thank you very much. It's always a pleasure to sit in for the great Bill O'Reilly when he's out on his podcast and his show. And thank you very much for the kind words about that interview with Paul Manafort. I I agree with you (laughs) that it was a great interview. And not just because I did it, Gene, um, but because Manafort is a good man who got completely railroaded on the Russia hoax and really lost so much of his life, the way General Flynn did, the way so many people did, Carter Page. And now it's all coming to pass and it's beginning to all come out where the FBI offered Christopher Steele, the British intel agent who created the fake dossier on Trump, the FBI, our FBI, offered him a million bucks to, quote, substantiate it. In other words, they wanted proof that it was true. Well, Steele had made it up, so he didn't take the million bucks. By the way, your money, you might want to work a little harder because the FBI needs more of your taxpayer dollars coming in for their corruption. But all of this is coming out now, slowly and drips and drabs. The root of all evil, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. I know on the last show we spoke about Mrs. Clinton and how she was the root of all evil on the Russia hoax. And while that's true, we can't forget Barack Obama. He was in the middle of all of this. He was in those White House meetings with Comey and Yates, and McCabe, and God knows who else, Susan Rice, they were all in those meetings about keeping the Russia hoax going even after Donald Trump uh, became president. So they had it going during the 2016 campaign, they had it going during the transition, and they kept it going when Trump was president. This is treasonous behavior. It went all the way up to the top which includes Joe Biden, the current president, but certainly it was Mrs. Clinton and Barack Obama behind all of it. And that conversation that we had with Paul Manafort uh, was a really important one because uh, especially my question about when did you first hear anything about Russia? And he said, yeah, we were so focused on like getting delegates that all of a sudden a reporter calls me up and says, "Uh, hey, do you have any comment on this? Comment. What are you even talking about? Because it came from the dark recesses of the minds of Mrs. Clinton and Barack Obama, who dreamt it up and then prosecuted this case against their political opponent, who then became president of the United States. It is an extremely dangerous story. Nobody has been held accountable. Nobody will be held accountable. John Durham is just prosecuting these low-level people. They're never going to go all the way up to Hillary and Obama and Biden. Forget it. Not happening. Which makes it even more urgent for us to elect Republicans and try to gain control over these institutions like the DOJ and FBI that are completely out of control. Paul Manafort's story is an alarm bell. It is a warning bell um, for the rest of us. Again, if they can do it to Manafort, if they can do it to Trump, they can certainly do it to you. I tweeted the other day that Rolling Stone reported, Rolling Stone of all places, reported that the FBI was tracking Aretha Franklin for 40 years. And I tweeted that story and I said, 
If they tracked Aretha for 40 years, imagine what they're doing to you. Exactly. And that was the point of the Paul Manafort interview. Gene, I'm so glad that you appreciated it and you loved it so much. So did I. So I'm grateful to you. All right, guys, that is going to do it for me on this Friday as we wrap up another week. Thank you so much for joining me and for checking out our great sponsors. We really appreciate that. Also, check me out on TV all weekend. I'm here in Nashville to do Huckabee, which will air on TBN Saturday night and Sunday night. And then Sunday night live, I will be on Fox News with the great Steve Hilton at 9 p.m. Eastern time. So check me out there. And I will see you right back here on Monday with another big show. Have a great weekend. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.